Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. The lesson you're about to hear was presented to the Franklin Church on April 12, 2009, and takes a little different look at living by faith. In fact, what we want to look at is not living by faith, but dying by faith. Let me take this opportunity to remind you, in case you haven't done so yet, that you can actually subscribe to these sermon podcasts by going to our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com, clicking on the icon on the right-hand side of the screen that's for our sermon podcasts. That'll bring iTunes up. You can click on subscribe, and you'll have lessons just like this one delivered to your iTunes and to your MP3 player every week. Right now, get out your Bible, and let's get ready to learn about Dying by faith. I told you a month ago that we were going to start having one lesson per month on the Psalms and prayer. And today was going to be that day this month. However, this past week was one of those kind of turning point moments for me. Kelsey Harris. 16-year-old daughter of Simon and Teresa Harris, died on Monday because of brain cancer. I had met Simon before a couple of times. Marita had become friends with Teresa through some Internet forums. And so when we got word of that, both of us wanted to go to the funeral. And so on Thursday, we piled in the car and we headed over to the funeral home up in Louisville. Outside a little bit. And when we got to the funeral home, it was packed. There were, someone estimated between 800 and 1,000 people went there on Thursday. And we're standing in the line waiting to be able to comfort Simon and Teresa. And while I was advancing toward the front of the room, I just began to think, what, what would it be like if the roles here were reversed? What if it was my child whose body was in the coffin? And as I was thinking about that and we were moving forward, I began to notice that this visitation line didn't seem to be acting the way so many that I've been to before had. In fact, as I got a little bit closer, it began to seem more like Simon and Teresa were comforting the visitors than those who were coming comforting them. And in fact, when I finally got up and I was able to give Simon a hug and I said to him, I am so sorry for your loss. He said, we're not. Our job as parents is to get our kids to heaven. And that's where Kelsey is. And so our job is done and our goal has been accomplished. Earlier than we had planned and hoped and wanted, but we have joy to know that our job and goal has been accomplished. While Wilson Adams was presenting the lesson, or the officiating the service, whatever you call it, he read some letters from Simon and Teresa. And one of them, and I, I don't remember which one of them it was that had written this, said that they, they didn't like to say that they had lost Kelsey. 
And then the letter said, Kelsey is saved. She's not lost. What, what faith? What comfort? What joy? Now, don't, don't misunderstand. Simon and Teresa and their other children are grieving over the hole that Kelsey's death, Kelsey's death has left in their lives. And there will no doubt be times in which the overwhelming feeling that they have is sadness, and that's okay. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 27, Paul pointed out that had Epaphroditus died, he would have had sorrow on top of sorrow. And it's okay for us to feel that when loved ones have died. But what touched me was the fact that Simon and Teresa were facing this death by faith. And as we had followed along with the emails and the updates that were being sent to us by several people and on the internet forums that Marie and I are involved in, I learned that Kelsey faced death that way. And that touched me, and I began to think about that. In fact, it moved me so much that I was just dwelling on it since Thursday. And I got to thinking about that. How many lessons do we have that talk about living by faith? How many lessons do we have that talk to us about what it means to to live and allow our faith to govern how we live? How How many lessons do we have based on passages like Galatians 2.20? It says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. We talk about that all the time. But how many lessons do we have, and how many times do we talk about dying by faith? I think about our greatest example ever, and of course that's Jesus. And no doubt Jesus left us tremendous example about how to live by faith. And when we follow how He lived and and the way He submitted to His Father, we can learn how to live by faith. But perhaps the greatest example He left us is how to die by faith. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 46... Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He's quoting from Psalm 31 and verse 5, but I want you to think about this statement. Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Think about what Jesus is saying there. Jesus is saying, Father, I trust you so much that I'm not just going to give my life to you, I'm giving my spirit to you. And whatever your plan is for my spirit, whatever you have in store for my spirit, even if it means that my spirit leaves my body, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to hand it over to you and I'm going to commit it to you. Because I know that your plans are better than mine. 
Do we trust God that much? Do we trust God so much that we'll say to Him, whether it means life or death, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. Whatever Your wants, desires, plans, and goals are for my life and my spirit, I'm just going to entrust it to You. And whether I live or whether I die, it'll be by faith. Thinking about faith, I looked at Hebrews chapter 11, a chapter that we often turn to about faith and often turn to about living by faith. And as I reread it this week with this idea in mind about dying by faith, I actually noticed some parts of this chapter that talk about dying, that talk about the faith that some of these folks had as they died. And I want to share with you six things that I learned this week from this chapter as I thought about the idea of dying by faith. And I hope that it will help us, whether we live or die this week, to do so by faith. Before we look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you. Because you are a tremendous God. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us be the glory, but unto you and to your name. Because you are the awesome God who has created everything. Father, help us to say along with your Son, into your hands we commit our spirits. Into your hands we commit our lives. Into your hands we commit our families. Into your hands we commit our parents. Into your hands we commit our spouses. Into your hands we commit our children. Into your hands we commit our grandchildren. Into your hands, Father, we commit our homes, our cars, our clothes, our bodies. Into your hands we commit our jobs. Into your hands we commit our relationships and our friends. Into your hands we commit our money. Into your hands we commit our computers, our televisions, our books. Into your hands we commit this congregation. Into your hands we commit our elders and our deacons and evangelists and teachers. Father, we give ourselves to you to build with us and do with us as you will. We ask that you deliver us from the bondage of self. That we might better do your will. We pray, Father, that You remove our sins and our defects and our difficulties and our flaws and the things that we've done wrong. That through victory over them, we might bear witness to those around us of Your power and Your love and Your way of life. May we do Your will always, Father. Through Your Son who set the example for us and commit His Spirit into Your hands, we pray. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, the very first thing I think we learn is that we need to acknowledge that we are pilgrims and strangers here on the earth. 
In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. These Old Testament saints were able to face their death in faith because they understood that they were strangers on the earth. This world is not our home. We sing that. Do we mean it? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Are they? The problem is if we begin to feel too at home down here, we're going to struggle with leaving this place. If we begin to get too comfortable here on earth, we're going to struggle with leaving and going even to heaven. We're a very mobile society. And because of that, most of us here understand the concept of having to leave home and going someplace else and living. What I've noticed is that folks often make that move from two different motivations or two different perspectives. There are some who leave home and go someplace else, and that's how they view it. I'm leaving home. Home is back there. I'm over here, perhaps because my job dictated or because circumstances demanded it. But that's home over there, and I'm constantly looking back with longing, and I'm planning and figuring out how I can get back there. Other folks, on the other hand, they move somewhere. And sure, they have some memories about what used to be home, but what they see is, I'm now moving someplace else, and this is my new home. And I'm going to make this home. And this is where I build memories, and this is where my values are, and this is where people are that I care about. And yes, I have some memories about back there, but I'm not longing to go back there. How do we view it regarding earth and heaven? We like, like Lot's wife, looking back, longing. The Israelites who consistently look back to Egypt as bad as it was. Why can't we go back there? They at least had food. We need to remember Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship isn't down here. It's in heaven. Because of that, we need to remember what it says in verse 19. It says about those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, that there is this destruction, their God is their belly. Why? They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Where are their minds set? On earthly things. Colossians chapter 3 Verses 1 and 2, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are below. If our mind is set on the things down here, if our values and our treasures are down here, we're going to have a hard time leaving here, even going to heaven. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, lay up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. 
Where's your heart? Is it here on the earth? Or is it up in heaven? You know, if our heart's in heaven with God, we'll be able to face the day that we catch up with it a lot better. If our heart's in heaven, then the day of our death means being reunited with our heart. If our heart's down here, the day of our death means being separated from it. Where's our heart? If we want to die by faith, we've got to believe that we are only strangers and pilgrims here. No matter how long of a life we have, whether it's 60 or 16 or 60 or 116, it doesn't matter. We're just here for a minute amount of time in comparison to the eternity that we have to exist. This is just a vacation trip. Let's not set up residence here. Only then will we be able to die by faith. Also in verse 13, it had said that they trusted God, God's promises even though they hadn't received them. But let's just read chapter 11, verse 13 again. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. God had told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make your family a great nation. God had told Abraham, Abraham, your children are going to live in Canaan land. It's going to be theirs. God had told Abraham, through your seed all nations will be blessed. And while Abraham had received blessings from God, these promises had not been fulfilled. But Abraham didn't despair. Abraham saw it, even though it hadn't happened yet. If we want to be able to die by faith, we've got to be able to see the promises of God, even if we haven't received them yet. That is, experienced them. I think about one major promise. There's all kinds of promises God's given us. But, but one that really stands out as I consider this is that promise of eternal life. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says the wages of sin are death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God said eternal life is what is awaiting you. That's hard for us to grasp. When we live in this world that is so plagued by death, when we have cancer and diabetes and heart disease and, and natural disasters that are killing people right and left, and death seems to govern our world, it's kind of hard to see eternal life as God's promise. And in fact, as we face our own mortality and our own death, it becomes pretty difficult to think, wait a minute, I have to die to get eternal life? How does that work? But Jesus said, Jesus said, in Matthew 16 and verse 25, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. On many levels, if we want life, we first have to go through death. And as we face death, we need to remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 6.18, that it is impossible for God to lie. And so trust God's promises that even though we haven't experienced it yet, we know that it will happen. We see it coming. And we hang on to that. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. And of all these that I'm going to share with you, this is probably the hardest. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 and 21, the Scripture says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. If we're going to be able to die by faith, we're going to have to trust God to take care of the ones we leave behind. Isaac and Jacob both, as they faced their deaths, instead of despairing about those they were leaving behind, they offered a blessing. Now, I understand the miraculous and revelatory nature of these blessings. I understand that. And I understand that we today do not have this kind of specific revelation of blessing for those we're leaving behind. But can't we understand this? That those we're leaving behind, God loves them. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. Can't we understand that we're leaving them behind in the care of a God who wants what's best for them? Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11 says, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Our God wants to bless them. Don't we understand that we're leaving them behind in the care of a God who works everything out for the good of those who love Him or are called according to His purpose? Romans 8, verse 28 says. And don't we know that we're leaving them behind in the care of a God who is the judge of all the earth and therefore will do right, as Genesis 18 and 25 says. I struggle with this. And for me personally, and I'm only speaking for myself here, For me personally, I know that the problem has to do with arrogance and pride because in my mind, the idea that I have is that if I'm not involved in the lives of all those who are around me, it's going to be all messed up. That if it's not me who does the training of my children, if it's not me that's there to take care of my wife, if it's not me that's there to preach the sermons of the congregation, then something's going to go awry. The problem is, what I'm learning as each day passes by is even while I'm here, if I'm trying to fix everything, I've learned that I just keep messing everything up. I'm learning that even while I'm here, if anything's going to be right, it's not going to be because I did it, it's going to be because God did it. How long will it take for me to realize that God actually knows and does better than me? I don't misunderstand. I I love my kids. I love my wife. I don't want to leave. And I definitely don't want them to leave me. I want to be there. And my prayer is somewhat like what we find in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And verse 22, where Paul said, as he was dealing with his 
possibly impending death. He said, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And my prayer is that somehow God can use me in the lives of my family, in the lives of my wife, in my, lives of the, in my life in the congregation, to somehow be an influence to, to, for His glory. But if God can be glorified more by my death, verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. If God can be more honored by my death than using somebody else in all of those things, then so be it. I hope that God uses each and every one of us. But if God has said that the better way He can use us is by pulling us out of the way and bringing us home, then are we willing to commit not only our spirits but our family to Him? Are we willing to commit those we leave behind into His care, His charge? We've got to trust that God knows how to take care of us. That God knows what He's doing. And just as God has taken care of us, He'll take care of those we leave behind. We want to be able to die by faith. We're going to have to do that. We keep reading in Hebrews chapter 11, and we come to verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. We want to be able to die by faith. We need to be able to encourage others to have faith as we die. Encouraging others to believe God and trust in Him. Back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, Joseph knows he's going to die. And in verse 24 of Genesis 50, Joseph says to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that He swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And this promise, the brothers swore, when God visits us. Now notice, that's some faith. Joseph says, God's going to do this, and he made them swear. Yes, God's going to do this, and when he does, we'll carry your bones up. And they passed that promise on from generation to generation. And look in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 32, As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. Joseph passed on the faith. He encouraged them with faith. 
a lot easier to die by faith when we're trying to encourage others to continue living by faith even though we're dying. And I can't help but think about our sister in Christ, Kelsey Harris, and, and what I learned about her. You know, I met Kelsey when she was 13 or 14. And at that point, she I mean, I'm sure she had touched some people's lives, but not many. I mean, in fact, when I met her, she was simply the daughter of a friend, another preacher. You know, all those preachers have kind of a bond. I didn't know Simon that well, but there's a bond there. He's a preacher. But that was really about it. However, at age 16, she died after about a year-long struggle with cancer. And on Thursday, nearly a thousand people showed up to pay their respects. More than 400 were at the funeral on Friday. Standing room only, people in chairs out and down the hallway. We got there 30 minutes early and we weren't even able to sit together. And interestingly, people signified that they had been touched by Kelsey because one time when Kelsey was going to receive treatment, I think it was one of the nurses asked her, why are you always so happy? And she said, life's more interesting when you're happy. And somebody heard that quote and they put it on shirts. And out of those thousand people, more than half of them were wearing those shirts and that just demonstrated we've been touched by this. We've been moved by this 16-year-old girl. And on Friday, more than 400 people heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. On Friday, more than 400 people heard about the faith that Kelsey demonstrated and the faith that her parents demonstrated. And I guarantee you that those people who were there and those who followed this story have been more moved... Because while she was dying, she encouraged folks through her faith. They were more moved by that than anyone's ever been by sermons that I've preached for 16 years. For longer than she's been alive. I've always wanted to be able to say that I've preached longer than somebody's been alive. But what happened this week, I know, impacted people more than anything I've ever done. Because I'll tell you what, if, if you think you've had impact on people's lives by living by faith, try dying by faith and see what it'll do for them. You'll have far more impact in those moments than you'll ever have right now. Don't get me wrong, live by faith, have an impact. But when we take that living by faith and it turns into dying by faith, that's when people are moved. And don't you think it helped her die by faith more when every day she was trying to encourage others to live by faith? If you want to be able to die by faith, you've got to encourage others to have faith even though you're dying whether it comes by teaching others who are lost, teaching them the gospel, or just comforting the saved who are struggling as they watch what's going on in your life. Only when we encourage others to live by faith can we die by faith. Then there's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. 
on through the end of the chapter. Jonathan read that for us a few moments ago. I just want to, I just want to pick up in uh, about verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. We want to die by faith. We've got to be obedient and faithful unto death. Here in Hebrews 11, it's talking about people who are dying because of their faith. Because of their faith in God, they're being sawn asunder. Because of their faith in God, they were being stoned. Because of their faith in God, they were being delivered over to animals, floggings, mocking, chain, imprisonment. What did they do about it? Did they turn their back on God? Did they run from Him? Did they say, this isn't what I signed up for? No, they continued in faithful obedience. And they were commended through their faith. They continued to hang on to God because they understood that God is the only place there's any hope. There's no hope in anything else. There's no hope in money. There's no hope in drugs. There's no hope in sex. There's no hope in power and influence. There's only hope in God. And so they hung on to God. And they maintained their faith and their obedience. How much more when we, if we're dying just because that's the natural way our lives end, how much more should we hang on to God as we face death? Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says it's going to happen to every single one of us just as it is appointed for men to die once. And after that comes judgment. Every single one of us today are dying. We may not have been diagnosed with something yet, but we're dying. And it may happen today on the way home because of a car wreck. It may happen this week because of another tornado. It may happen in 25 years because of cancer or just old age. But it's going to happen. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11 says that the saints conquered the adversary, that is the devil. They conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. We want to die by faith. We've got to maintain our faithful obedience unto death. Keep serving the Lord. Keep glorifying God up into the very last moment. Don't give up. Don't relax. Don't back off. Keep living for God's glory. until you quit breathing. And then enter your rest. And finally, verse 35, in Hebrews chapter 11. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. If you want to die by faith, you need to know we're going to be raised to a better life. This really ties back around to where we began doesn't it? It ties back around to realizing that we're just strangers here. We're just pilgrims. We're exiles. We've got a home that's someplace else, and that's where we're heading. We're on a pilgrimage there, and that's where we're going to take up residence. And God's promises are true. We're going to a better place. Now, let's face it. Where we live right now stinks. I don't care what kind of house you live in. 
I don't care what kind of car you drive. This place down here is wretched. It's awful. How can any of us feel comfortable and at home here? This place is miserable. But we're looking forward to a place. A new heavens and earth. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13 says, in which righteousness dwells. Sin came into this world. And because of sin, there's death. And because of sin, there's sickness. But we're going someplace where sin does not dwell. Where Satan's hand has not tainted it. And there is no death. There's no cancer. There's no diabetes. There's no heart disease. There's no growing old and dying. There's no canes. There's no walkers. There's no wheelchairs. There's no starvation and hunger. There's no loss of loved ones. There's no hospitals. There's no old folks' homes. There's no orphanages. There's no death. There's no dying. There's no temptation. There's no more struggle. There's no more fight to do what's right. We're going someplace better than here. How could we be at home here? We want to die by faith. We've got to remember that this life isn't about this life. It's about what comes next. This life is not about collecting the most toys. It's not about having the most influence. It's not about having the most power. It's not even about living the longest. It's about being set free by Jesus so that we can be with Him forever. And there will be I don't know what it's going to be like. I, I, I don't know what we're going to be doing there. I just know this. Romans 8 and verse 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. No comparison. That's where we're going if we live and die by faith. As we wrap up, let's go back to the foundation for this lesson. And that's Jesus Christ. The reason why these six points can mean anything to us, the reason why we can hang on to them is not because of anything about us, but because our Savior went before us and died by faith. And as He hung there on the cross, He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. Remember this, as He came up to His death, you remember in the garden when He prayed? Father, if possible, let this cup pass from Me. If Jesus had had His brothers, He didn't want to go through all this. This was going to be agony and torment, physically but also spiritually. But remember how he ended it? He said, nevertheless, and this is a big nevertheless, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will, Father. Even there, he was committing his spirit into the hands of his Father. Not what I want, what you want. God, Father, here's what I want, but more than that, I want what you want. I want to commit my hands, my spirit into your hands. I'm going to let you be in control, and whatever your plans are for me. 
Whatever your plans are, that's what I'm going to do. And because Jesus did that, because He committed His Spirit into His Father's hand, we now can. And we have these promises that we can look forward to. Are you ready to follow in Jesus' footsteps? Commit your hands into God's Spirit. Commit your spirit into God's hands. Or the other way around. It, it works about the same either way. I hope this lesson edified you. Most of all, I hope it glorified God. Let's remember what we learned. If we want to be able to die by faith, we must, one, acknowledge we are strangers and exiles on earth. Two, trust God's promises even when we haven't experienced them yet. Three, trust God to take care of those we leave behind. Four, encourage others to have faith in God and his promises as we die. Five, be obedient and faithful unto death. And then six, know that you will be raised to a better life. If you have any questions about this lesson or any spiritual needs or prayer requests, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website. That's franklinchurchofchrist.com. Also, if you ever happen to be in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to get to meet you face-to-face. -face. You can find times and directions to our meeting place on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We invite you to be with us at any of our classes or our assemblies. We really do look forward to meeting you. Once again, let me remind you, if you haven't done so yet, you can sign up and subscribe to this sermon podcast by going to our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. Clicking the link on the right-hand side of the page, it'll take you to iTunes, hitting subscribe, and then lessons just like this one will be delivered to your iTunes and your MP3 player every week. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.